You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, we are continuing our study through the seven seas of history, and today I've entitled the message, The Corruption of Man, Part 1 which pre-assumes there would be a part two unless I change my mind. Well, this seven seas of history is something I didn't create. It's a, uh, the graphic and the idea came from answers in Genesis. And so if you are reminded of what we looked at last week as we view this chart, there are seven seas by which we are going to journey through, beginning with creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. And really, this is just an oversight of the progress of redemption by which God in His grace, from the beginning of the foundations of time, has, has brought us ultimately through all of these stages, and one day He will return. He's coming back when we don't know. But we can be certain that He shall return. And so last week, as we began our series on the seven seas of history, we talked about creation. And we talked about three different aspects of creation in which we noticed that God, we first said, created for a period of time. We also saw that as we dove into this, that it was six literal days by which God created the world and everything in it, six literal 24-hour days. We also saw that He created for a purpose of order. He created us to be stewards over all that's on this earth and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to have babies. And then we saw, thirdly, the purpose of order. The perfect partner in which He created. We saw that God, from the very beginning of time, saw that Adam was alone and He brought to Adam Eve. And here we looked at God's order and partnership and His plan that it was a man and a woman that were to be together, and that they were to be joined together as husband and wife. And we see that's the vitally important aspect of His creation as well. The two shall become one flesh. Gives us a great picture of Christ and the church as a covenant relationship. And today we're going to touch base on a different topic in which we have seen God's goodness in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And as we come into chapter 3, something happens that affects even us here this morning in 2022. We see while life seemed to be perfect in Genesis 1 and 2, we see there is sin that infiltrates the world in chapter 3. We have a time of order in chapter 2, verse 15, as Moses tells us that Adam was placed into the Garden of Eden, and there he received a wife, and they are living in an absolute perfect paradise, without sin, without suffering, without aging, and they are eternally living. Everything is perfect. With that in mind, let us approach Genesis chapter 3, and specifically we're going to dive into verses 1 to 7. He says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the tree of the, from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loin coverings. Terrible something has happened like this. Let's start by unpacking these verses today. We see a division really in verse 1 that can be divided into two parts. The first division we see is the introduction of the father of lies. Verse 1a. The second division we see that now this serpent who has been introduced brings about a confusion to Adam and Eve. As we study the Word of God, we, seem, we see who this serpent is. We see what he is capable of. And we see his actions. I know we don't like to talk about sin in today's culture. We don't like to talk about the devil in this culture. We don't like to talk about hell in this culture. But may I remind every one of us that hell is a real place and you don't want to go there. That sin is a real issue. The wages of sin is death. Every single one of us have one thing in common when we come into this world and that is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. You say, that's great news, Pastor. Well, it's truth. And sometimes truth hurts. But here we're introduced to the devil. And as we study, we see his personality, so to speak. He says now, we read in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to woman, Who's the serpent? You say, well, how do we know the serpent is the devil? Because if we just read it, it just says serpent. This crafty beast, who is he? Well, Revelation 12.9 clearly teaches this talking reptile is Satan himself. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now while the devil... Here is known as the serpent. He is also known throughout the Scriptures as many different names. He is called the accuser. He is called the enemy. He is called the tempter. He's called the evil one. He's called the murderer from beginnings. 
He is the father of lies. And that is what Jesus calls in him in John 8.44 when it says, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the prince of this world. He is the God of this world. And in verse 1, Satan is called the serpent. So we have the introduction of the devil in the first part of verse 1, and it's very clear that it is Satan. The second part of verse 1, we see this personality, so to speak, of the devil. We see that he is crafty. He is creating delusion or confusion. He's creating chaos. And he begins not with a statement of declaration, but with a devious question. Most of the time, the devil doesn't come out and say, God is wrong. That would repel too many people. Rather, what we see is his method is to cast doubt on the very Word of God. We do this in our day when we want to go after somebody. We may not call their name, but we can certainly make known the error of somebody by without ever calling their name, can't we? That's what the devil's doing here. He's casting doubt on what God has said, what He has spoken. And so we see the devil speak. He deludes the very Word of God. And so the devil says to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? We have a first-hand view of the tactics of Satan. And listen, his tactics don't really change that much. Because if he can convince you that God's Word is wrong or confused, he wins. But that's his tactic. His great deception is to twist the living Word of God to bring about doubt in us. If we were to ask the same question today in our society, the devil may not say, has God really said? But maybe he will ask the question, are you sure that, that, that God's not okay with you having sexual relations with that person before marriage? Are you sure that's what God said in His Word? Are you certain that's what He meant? Surely it, it looks okay to do this or that. It doesn't really hurt anybody else. That's between you and somebody else. God wouldn't want you to be unhappy, would He? It's okay to fudge on your taxes. We give a lot of money to the church. Assuming you do give money to the church. That's another lie the enemy's brought in. How many of us rob God of what is His? You, you do realize you own nothing. 
You are only a steward of what God has entrusted to you. And some have bought the lie that is yours. Did really God say that Jesus is the only way into salvation? Really? Out of all the other religions in the world, Pastor, Stuart, are you sure that's what God said? Are there not many roads that lead to heaven? All of the roads that going up to mountain lead to the same God. Surely you don't believe that Jesus, the gospel, is the only way to salvation. Surely God won't send you to hell. I mean, He's a good God. How could a good God ever destroy somebody? You know why you're smiling is because you've heard it all before. The devil ain't changed much, has he? Has God really said? Yeah, He said. He said it right here. He said it right here. But the devil knows if he can twist this word to make you doubt what is written in his book, then he wins. And you lose. And for those that reject the gospel because of some other methodology of salvation, you really lose. Because you will live eternally separated from God in a place called hell, which is a real hot place. Eternally. Eternally. That's a long, long, long time. And when long time is done, said long for a universe of eternality, it is still a long time. Hear me this morning. There is a great lesson for us to learn from the passage today as we seek to see Satan work here in the garden. We clearly see his methods, his way of deception. And we now have a knowledge of how the enemy can attack. That's good news. That's good news. We, we want to know the enemy's game plan. Don't you? I mean, I've never been in war, but if I'm going into battle and I'm fighting for my life, I'm going to take any insight I get from the enemy's camp to know what they're doing so I don't die. Listen, if we were to play a football game, and I'm on defense, and you're on offense, my objective is to know your game plan so I can know which way you're going with the ball. I hear the goat is retiring this year. But what's amazing is how knowledgeable these men are of the game of football. Those men can see the setup of the defense and know they can't go that way and so they call an audible to go the other way because the defense is on top of what's fixing to happen. Listen, the game is this. If you can understand where the enemy's going and what he is doing and how he is working, you will have a greater opportunity to stand against the schemes of the enemy. But too many of us are walking around in this world aimlessly and blind and we're not even considering the devil and what he is doing and we forget that he is the God of this world. And for many, he's winning. 
But for those in Christ, we win in the end. But nevertheless, we need to understand and see. We learn best when we understand the enemy's schemes. We learn best from failures. We, we really learn well from others' failures, don't we? But here God has given this word to us, not only to give us this account, but to give us a clear teaching of the enemy's game plan. The enemy always tries to distort the Word of God. Go back and look at Jesus as He's being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Listen, I found it very interesting that the serpent here approaches the woman. As I read this, I have to ask myself the question about that text. Why? Why approach the woman? This is by no means a chauvinistic idea. He approached the woman. It's what it says in the book. So don't we need to ask the question, why did he approach the woman? I think it's a great question. It's not that the woman's stupid. It's not that the woman isn't equally valuable. It isn't that she is incapable. But there's got to be a reason he went after the woman rather than the man. If we simply look back at chapter 2, verse 16, we have an account of God giving the command or the order in the garden. He says here in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. Not you might die, or it might be possible that you die, or you know, no, you're going to die. So we have God speaking to Adam. Not Eve. Adam. The, the man. The, the leader. The head. Woman hasn't come into the picture yet. So she doesn't hear the command of God firsthand. So the serpent approaches the woman because he is well thought out. The woman had not heard the command of God directly, but only through her husband. Assuming that he shared the news with her and the orders from God. Adam was the leader. And it seems that yes, while he must have told her the command because she knew of the command of God because of her response for which we read in verse 2. You see, God spoke to Adam. And Adam spoke to Eve. God spoke literally to Adam. This is how God communicated to them in the garden. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They had a great personal relationship with Almighty God, their Creator. Because when God created them, He created them good. Without sin, without suffering, without pain. They weren't aging. No, they lived in a perfect paradise. And they would live that way eternally. If they would not have failed. God communicated to them. And He still communicates us today through His living and active Word. 
This is the revelation that God has given to us. There isn't new revelation. If you want new revelation, then go join a cult. Because that's how cults come about. No, the Scripture is sufficient, my friend. God need not say another word to us outside of the living and active Word of God. Now, God is God. God can do what He wants to do, but it certainly is not the normality. And if you hear God speak to you, you better apply it to the Word of God and make sure it doesn't contradict it. And if it doesn't contradict it, then guess what? Just tell them what the Word of God says. God spoke to them in the Scriptures. He speaks to us. And the point I'm trying to make about this is that God today speaks to us through His Word. And that's important. And if you're getting information that God's got something for you or some special hidden message through someone else other than the living and active Word of God, how do you know that person is telling the truth unless you can match it up against the Scriptures? That's secondhand information. I don't need second-hand information. Do, do yourself a favor. If you're going to drive down here from up north or out west to tell me God told you to come here to give me a message, just stay home because I don't need the message. He's given me the 66 books of the Bible. And if He wants to speak to me, I promise you, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me, that lives in you, can speak to me through the Word. You don't need to waste the gas money. That's a bad steward of your money. At least just pick up the phone. But you know what? We've over-spiritualized this. We, this. This idea that there are modern prophets and apostles and, and this new revelation that exists because of the Word of Faith movement is, a, is terribly inaccurate. And people think it makes them spiritual. If somebody approaches you and they have a word from the Lord, and they, the first thing they want to do is be puffed up because God spoke to them. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm getting off the topic here, but hey, I'm going to flow with it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God has spoken long ago through the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. In His Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If we want to hear from God, open our Bibles and read them. The mystery is no longer a mystery. The mystery is the Gospel has been revealed, my friend. God speaks to us through His Word. And if you're only getting that from somebody else, of a person who has told you about that truth, then this gives Satan the ability to cast doubt because it's only second-hand information. But if you get the words of God from the Word of God for yourself, and you are pouring into it, and you're studying it, and you're living on it, and you're feeding on it, living by it, it is much harder to convince or to distort that which God has said in His Word because now you have seen with your own eyes the truth of God's Word. And you have hidden it into your heart. You've spoken it with your own lips. 
And God's Word has changed you. It's then, my friends, you can stand firm on what God has said and trust what God has spoken. And so when someone comes along and gives you a teaching other and outside of that which is not in the Word of God, you can say, no sirree! I studied the truth. And that, my friends, is a lie. Now we have this idea that we can't agree to disagree on non-salvific issues in the Scriptures. That's not what I'm talking about. I have dear brothers who are Pentecostals who believe that Jesus Christ is the only one, only way in the salvation. We may agree to disagree on the miraculous gifts of today, but what you ain't going to do is convince me that you can work your way into the kingdom of God. What you ain't going to do is tell me there's another avenue by which one can get unto heaven apart from Jesus Christ. We have to be standing on the truth of God's Word, first-hand experience. The only way we can do that is to be a student of the Word. But let's just be really honest this morning. Some of us haven't even opened our Bible since last Sunday. And some ain't even looked at it since then. And some don't even have a Bible in church. To whom much is given, my friend, much is expected. Do you realize there are people across this globe who don't have the privilege of the Word of God in their very own language? And we have it in 50 translations. Yet we don't read it. Listen, God likens His Word to milk, to honey, to meat. Why? Because we need to feed on it. Lest we become malnourished. There is a famine in the land and this is the Word of God. There is a famine, my friends. Don't be that person. My encouragement is to be a student of the Scriptures and work through those difficult things. Because we need to. It's important that we get the Word of God from God's Word. So that we can say, no, that's not what God's Word said. God said this. He said, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat you will surely die. Is that what Eve said? No. No, that's not what she said. She said a little bit of that, but she added a little more, didn't she? We must not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God's word remains. It's steadfast. It's irremovable, my friends. And Eve didn't have firsthand information from God. She never heard the command directly from God. And it shows because her herself twisted the very words that God spoke to Adam. Did Adam do a good job of leading? No. He failed. As the husband, he failed. And we know he failed because he was right there beside her. He should have karate kicked the serpent. He should have cut the head off of the serpent somehow, some way. He should have protected his wife. But he advocated his responsibility which God had given him. With poor leading... And Satan working overtime, it was a recipe for disaster. And that disaster would impact the world as we know it. 
Listen, Satan will say things that will lead you astray. Because he is the father of lies. In the face of so much lies, we must remember that our God is good. And His ways are best. No matter how much the devil paints Him, or how he paints Him as bad. So when the culture says, it's okay, but God's Word says it's not okay, don't believe the lie of the devil. (laughs) Whether it makes sense or not. Know that God's Word is perfect and accurate and pleasing and good. Don't be deceived by the lies. Woman's response to Satan, verses 2 and 3, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. Did God say that? No. Or you will die. Verse 2, she gets right. Verse 3, she begins to add God's Word. In verse 1, I want to draw the point that she should never have entertained the serpent in the first place. Her husband should have said, get away from that evil serpent who is distracting you from what? God has commanded us. Should have protected his wife. She should have never opened the door of conversation with the devil. Many of you don't need to open the door to the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses because you're not prepared to stand on the battlefront to fight against that cult. Those cults. But the serpent she lets in. And the serpent plants a seed of doubt. A seed of confusion. And when a seed is planted, it's just a matter of time before it grows and sprouts and gives life. Has God said? We all know that this is not what God said because we have the full counsel of God's Word. We have the teaching of Scripture before us. But before her, we see an addition to the teaching of God in verse 3. And it may be that this inaccuracy comes from a misunderstanding of what her husband has informed her of about the rules of the garden. Satan has twisted what God has said. And he takes one restriction that God intended for good and makes God to be out bad because... Here we see this conversation with the devil adding, her adding to the statement, you shall not even touch it. Oh, it's good, isn't it? It seems good, doesn't it? I mean, if you can't eat it, you shouldn't even touch it, right? There is some legitimacy to that. It must be better that we show the devil not only should we not eat, but we shouldn't touch it either. We better not play with God's commands. She has great intentions maybe, but I think Eve starts to give way here. When we are put under pressure, we say things that we normally wouldn't for the sake of defending ourselves or God. She could have been trying to defend God here and really 
didn't have to. Because God's words, either spoken in the Old Testament or written in the New Testament, listen, they need no help. They need not our defending them. Because they are from Almighty God and they are all authoritative whether they like it or not. We are called to just proclaim the truth. The reality is, is we need no help, no defense, because ultimately the Word of God is from the Creator of heaven and earth. He is the author of salvation. And thus we can take His Word in plain sight as all authoritative. And thus we just need to speak the truth and let the truth fall on whom it falls and trust God that He's going to give ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to be changed. We need not defend Almighty God. Don't add to the Word for the sake of God. It's reliable. Without your or my help, let's just simply speak the truth. So woman answers back to the serpent. And then the serpent goes in for the kill. With another address in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman in reply, Surely you will not die. First he cast doubt. Secondly, he cast complete deception. Here Satan is now speaking against God's words. Satan is calling God a liar. He is calling him untruthful. God says, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. And here He says, surely you will not die. We see this today like never before. A culture is like the enemy, is like the devil. Listen, if someone is telling you that which is contrary to the Word of God and saying, surely you will not die, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. And their father is the devil. They want to twist the Word of God so that it falls palatable and acceptable to the culture. God said, in the day you eat, you will surely die. And that would come to pass. And it will come to pass for you and for me as well. Listen, many times we twist the Word of God to make them fit into our lives. We're all very capable of doing this. To fit our plans. To fit our desires. And when we go out and we make the Word of the Lord something other than what He intended, we are like the devil calling God a liar. We say that His words are not true. And by doing that, we claim to be our very own little lowercase g God. The ultimate problem is that we have a low view of God in today's society. Surely you won't die, the devil said to Eve in chapter 3, verse 4. The devil wants us to know that sin is not that big of a deal. Okay, God said don't eat from the tree. But really, do you really think He's going to kill you over this? Do you really think that you're going to die, go ahead and eat. He'll forgive you. 
You, you fill in the blank. How is it that the devil lies to us today? Do it. You won't die. What is the slimy serpent leading you to think this morning? That is okay when the Bible says it's a sin. I promise you, somebody this morning is listening or watching who is living in habitual sin and they have justified it. They have justified it. Listen, every single one in this room will sin. What you do when you sin is the question. We need to be repentant. But somebody listening this morning is living with a woman or a man and they're not married and they're just living it up like they're married, having relations, making babies, doing everything that a married couple has but without the commitment and the right covenant with God. Some are, have allowed things into their home that are X-rated and you've justified it because that's what happens when we're desensitized to a wicked generation. The right is no longer right. The right is now in the middle, moving further to the left. Listen, the Bible says that God hates sin. He has and He will and He will punish sin. We need to understand that. And we don't get to define what sin is. God defines what sin is. And when we sin, we break the law of God. The wages of sin is death. It has been death since the Garden of Eden. And in six, Romans 6.23, it reminds us again that even today, the wages of sin is death. <laughs> but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you earn your sin. You go to work, you work 30, 50, 70, 80 hours a week, however many it is, and you get paid on Fridays, typically. You earn that wage. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And in the old terminology of Mark Mansell, anything you say, think, do, that makes God cry or makes God sigh is sin. Disobeying anything in the Word of God is sin. From the smallest to the greatest, the tiniest little sin is enough to send you into eternal separation from Almighty God. We, 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 we stack sin on certain levels, don't we? Oh, that's okay. God understands. But now I can't do that. That'll put me in hell. What, like, how do we justify? Who becomes the, 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 the weighing scale of that? No, all sin. Sin is sin. Sin is the Greek word is hamartia. It's an archery term. Here's the deal. The Bible says, for all have sinned. The archer's job is to draw back his bow and hit the bullseye. Sinned, hamartia, it simply means you've missed the bullseye. You've missed the mark. And the Bible says we've all sinned. All means all in the Greek. And in English it means all. It, in redneck, term, in redneck terminology, everybody has sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. You, you may compare yourself to some righteous guy, some religious leader, but nevertheless, God is up at the ceiling. And in order to get to heaven, you must be as righteous and perfect and as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people, those humans are not your standard of righteousness by which you are judged by. You and I are judged by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The devil is a liar, my friends. And there is no truth in him. And he has one intention that he comes to, to kill, steal, and destroy. Because that's what's going to happen to him in the end. And he wants to bring as many with him as he can. You earned your sin. I earned my sin. Don't believe the lie. Whatever you're being told this morning is okay and God says it's wrong, it's wrong. I don't care who tells you what. I don't care if your mama says, it's okay, honey. It's okay. You were born this way. No, no, no. That ain't how God worked. God is not a respecter of men. God is God and God determines truth and we don't get to manipulate that based off of our uncomfortable circumstances by which we find ourselves. Because we're scared we're going to offend somebody. We would rather someone die and go to hell rather than offending them. That's how sick and perverted we have become as a nation, as a world. Listen, if there's some friend that's told you this is good and God calls it evil, listen, it's evil. Don't buy the lie. They are direct workers of Satan himself and they will lead you in the way of the serpent. And they will tell you what makes you happy. They will tell you, you deserve it. It's owed to you. Somebody said that the other day. Yeah, you know, this happened. Well, you deserve that. You, that you, you, you des I said, excuse me, friend, but I, I deserve hell. Anything outside of that is God's grace on my life. No, we all, every single one of us, deserve the pure flaming wrath and justice of Almighty God. Period. Anything outside of that is God's grace upon us. <laughs> Listen, it's better to be alone than with bad company. Don't follow the teachings of the world, but rather trust in the Lord. You want to know which way to go? He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not some of it, but all of it. With all of your mind, with all of your will, with all of your person. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. There is a way, Proverbs 14, 12, it says that, 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 that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, every aspect of your life. And He will make straight your paths. The liar will not make straight your path. Trust in the Lord. For He is our strength. He is our salvation. He is our fortress. He could never be shaken. And so you and I must choose this day whom we are going to serve. Because I can tell you the heat's fixing to get turned up on this weak nation we live in. This sissified church that's out there today. The, the heat's about to be turned up real hot and we're fixing to find out who's willing.
to stand the test of fire. Are you ready? Are you willing to stand for the truth? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, that He is the only way into salvation. He is not a good way. He is not the best way. He is emphatically the only way into salvation. Are you ready to stand on that this morning? Because I can tell you, the heat's about to get turned up. We live in a cancer culture. But know this culture, you will never ever cancel Jesus Christ. Because God has given Him a name that is above all names, and that at the name of Jesus Christ, listen, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I beg you to bow today, because if not, you will bow before Him when it's too late, and you will enter into eternity separated from God, because He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 and 9, He will be dealing out retributions to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. My friends, today is a day of salvation. Wait no longer. Don't believe the lie. He is the father of lies. He is the father of lies. And He will always be the father of lies. And many of you have invited Him into your house. Last night, I'm not into politics. I'm not against politics. I just don't have time to keep up with it. But I was at Lynn's house last night and we watched old Trump give a speech. And uh, he told a story about a snake. Many of you know that story. And here's the long story short. A woman found a snake that was freezing by the lake. She had pity on the snake. She invited that snake into her home and placed him by the fire and took care of them, and next thing you know, the snake is now revitalized. And she caressed that snake and kept it close and loved on that snake and felt bad for that snake. And she had breathed life back into him. But lo and behold, what happened? Snake bit her. And she dies. The moral of the story, don't take the snake in. He is a liar. He has always been a liar. And He is always going to be your enemy. And anything against the truth of God's Word will kill you. The wages of sin is death. We have to wake up to this reality. He is the Father of lies. Who will you worship? Him or the Father of truth? In verse 5, we see the lie continue and the deception grow quickly. Verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want to ask you this question. Is this a lie? Did the devil lie here? No. He did not lie. He told the truth. Look at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us. What? Knowing good and evil. Now lest he stretch out his hands and take and eat from the tree of life and live forever. So God in the very beginning of time reestablishes some grace on these people. Removes them from their circumstance. Serpent is very crafty. He knows the truth of God's Word, but He gives only half-truths. He gives a little truth with a little lie which is fully a lie. 
Now, you wouldn't eat a piece of soup with just a drop of poison, would you? I mean, the whole thing's not poison, it's just a drop. No, you wouldn't, because you know it would kill you. So don't take a little bit of truth, because that makes you feel good, and, and take a little lie, because you don't want to submit to God's authority. You see what the Scripture's doing. He's saying, go on and eat. You can save yourself. You will be like God. Adam and Eve both will soon find out what it looks like to look evil in the face. Their eyes will be opened. They will know evil for the very first time. And the devil knows what it looks like. And he is on task to win them over to his side. The battles we are facing today are a spiritual battle against good and evil. We are battling spiritual battles. And it is a battle against the devil and against Almighty God. And you'll need to choose this day whom you serve. There is no fence riding. There is no lukewarm Christianity. You're either hot or you're cold. You're either dead or you're alive. You're either blind or you see. You're either death or you hear. You're either lame or you walk. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. There is no middle ground here. And some of you are teetering on the fence and you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ because you've bought some lie from some religious cult that you can somehow work your way into the kingdom of God or hold some kind of traditional values and you think that makes you a Christian. doesn't make you a Christian. Only the love of God by sending His Son Jesus Christ and your belief and trust in the gospel can you be born again. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. You can't save yourself. Adam and Eve thought maybe we can be like God. They'll soon find out what it looks like. He was convincing Eve that she should sin and that it would actually offer her freedom. Is that, a, is that common today or what? Now, you know, if you'll just do this, you'll be free. It'll be okay. You'll have joy. You'll have peace. Peace. No, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. We don't get peace based off of our circumstances and based off our emotions. Our joy is Fickle. It's like a roller coaster. We're happy one second and we're down another second. But in Christ we have peace no matter where we are on the roller coaster of life. You want peace, it comes from being at peace with God. Because as I've said before, you could never experience the peace of God until you are at peace with God. And the only way you can be at peace with God is if you are born again from above and He comes to take up residence in you and you are now in union with Christ and as long as you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. It's not about, about believing about Christ. You must be in Christ and Christ must be in you. You must have a John chapter 15 kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by which you are connected to the true life-giving vine. That's what the Lord wants. But yet here we see the devil is convincing of Eve, all your sin will let you be free. He's still telling this lie today. Go ahead. Quit, you'll be fine, you'll be happy. It's, all, it's greener on the other side. 
Did God call you there? Did God call you there? Because like I tell my children, like my daddy told me, when you jump the fence, the grass is going to die there too. They just got rye planted. But the heat's fixing to come. And it's going to burn off that pretty green. And it's going to be the same way on that side of the fence as it is on this side of the fence. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Did God call you? If God called you, then stand firm in the faith. Go ahead, separate from your spouse. You'll be free. You'll finally be free. The devil won't warn you of the consequences that you'll deal with for the rest of your life. Young people, be smart. Be smart who you tie the knot with. This ain't some joke. We're talking of eternal things here. We're talking about one flesh relationships here. 44% of divorces I read this morning end in divorce. 44% of marriages end in divorce. Which assumes 64% end in death. You ever think about that? God's design. Go ahead, take out your frustration. You'll feel better. Go ahead, vent your anger towards God. It's therapeutic. <laughs> Go ahead, buy it. You'll find joy. It'll make you happy. Go ahead, drink it up. Smoke it up. Sniff it up. Shoot it up. It'll give you some temporal satisfaction. A little bit of fun never hurt anybody. Just, just one, one glass will do. I wonder how many people's lives have fallen apart because they started with, I could just have one. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I was just a booze head who couldn't just have one. Maybe I'm the fool. But I don't think I'm just that only fool. I think it would be foolish to think that. And I believe that some of us, if we're going to be frankly honest, and we, that's what we need. We need transparency. We need honesty. I'm not some holy roller. I've had a jacked up life. The proof of my salvation isn't that I prayed a prayer. No, it's that God who lives in me has changed me. I don't have those same desires. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. Doesn't mean I don't have the desires for those things anymore. But some of you have started habits that have led to drunkenness. And you're the only one who knows it. At least you think that God knows it. And He's who really matters anyways. Look, it's, look at, it's pleasing for the eyes. Just, it's okay. Go watch that movie. Go entertain yourself with this. Satisfy the flesh. Wear it. It's okay. Wear it. They'll, they'll all gloat over you. you. You'll be the most famous woman in the world. Nowadays, even men. Listen, we live in a day when people need to put clothes on for crying out loud.
That sin isn't as bad as what they make it sound. That's not really sin. They've justified that scientifically now. God wants you to be happy, do it. Listen, they're all lies, my friend. Sin will never make you free. It will never make you happy. It will always bind you and enslave you to a lifestyle of unrighteousness. And you will be working right alongside of the father of lies. The devil offers Adam and Eve good things. He offers them liberation. He offers them freedom. He offers them knowledge. He offers them life. But what do they get in the end? They get shame. And in the end, they get separation. And in the end, ultimately, they get a new nature. And that nature is death. It's death. You will surely die. And when they ate, death came upon them. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight for the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took and ate from it its fruit. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. It's the act of sinning has now been accomplished. Flip over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Or 13 to 18. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully matured, it brings for death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Listen, your sin is a result of your lust and your passion. My sin is a result of my desires and my lust and my passions. The woman recognizes three advantages of the forbidden tree. Sin is, is pleasing to the sight sometimes. It's enticing. It's, it causes us to yearn it sometimes. First, she saw the fruit was good. Secondly, she saw the tree is beautiful. And third, eating would make her wise. Oh, the lie she had bought. None of these three things should have sold her out. But it all happened so fast, didn't it? The account moves with rapid pace. The woman saw. She took. She ate and she gave and he ate. I think it's a great picture of what it looks like when our minds have folded to the instructions of Almighty God. We see what we want. We take hold of what we want. We do what we want. And then we try to involve others in the process. Sin never wants to be alone. Sin always wants company. It's a really great picture of sin in our lives. Where's the man? 
Where's the leader? Every time the word you is used in the verse, notice that it's in the plural form. And therefore assumes they were together the entire time. You could say y'all. Listen, the husband has abdicated his responsibility and botched his opportunity to leave his wife, and he failed. It's our duty as men to lead our families to safety. The safety of God's living and active Word. And as long as we fail as men to lead, Satan will devour and seek our families. Listen, the breakdown in this country starts with the family. It starts with the family. It starts in Genesis. The creation account. The breakdown of roles of men and women have been absolutely devastating to families, to the church, to the country, to the world. Satan will seek to dishonor and confuse and distort the roles of men and women in our, in our culture. So how are we leading today, men? How are we leading today? There is a universe of women who wish for a man who can spiritually lead them. Raise your men to be godly men for the sake of my daughters. I need my daughters to marry godly men. You need your daughters to marry godly men. And we need our women for crying out loud to be women. <laughs> there is no greater call for the woman than to be who God called you to be. But the devil has slid right in and confused chaotic world we live in. And we got women advocating their responsibilities to lead their families, their children. They're selling off their children for vocations and they wonder why our kids are walking away. And we, we, we've, it, it's, it's, it's devastating. Okay, you have a bunch of gold stars on your coat. They'll bury you in that coat. They'll bear you in that coat. And when you get to heaven, you will give an account for how you accomplish what God has called you to do. So I'm sorry if that offends you. But you know what? I am tired of watching a nation fall apart because we have advocated our responsibility as men to be men and we've given over that role to women. God has called the women to be what He has called them to be for the glory of God. Now, not every woman is married. There are single women. What are you supposed to do? You are to honor God with your life. Serve the Lord with your life. If you're married, your job is to honor your husband, to, to raise your children in a godly home. Stop sending them off to Roman's palace and wonder why they turn out like Roman. This 2022 is a different world, my friends. I mean, I graduated high school in 1997. It was pretty bad. It's real bad now. We, we have to start standing up for the biblical perspective of the roles of men and women. Specifically the men. Because if men are doing what men have been called to do, I believe the women would fall in line.
But that's not the case, is it? Men are lazy, passive. They're willing to give up what God's called them to and the women will gladly take it because it's their curse. Your desire will be for your husband to be like him, to rule him. And I know there's a lot more to that subject than what I'm speaking on now, but know this, it starts somewhere. And so if I can spark your mind to thinking and digging and looking, that's my desire and my hope. Because I believe we have to start today raising a generation of godly people with biblical vision, with biblical perspectives. Because that's what honors God. Adam failed to lead his wife and they were deceived, both of them. They had been tricked, they had been duped, and now they are in shame. And the truth is now unfolding quickly. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Immediately, their eyes were opened, and they saw their wrong. And it hit them like a ton of bricks. And it's really in the same fashion for us when we sin, if we're born again, we get what we want in reality. It's almost in the snap of a finger, go, why did I do that? Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. We need to admit that we've sinned against a holy and righteous God. They instantly knew they were naked and they had lost their purity. And just as fast as they sinned, they clothed themselves because they saw their need to cover their bodies. And here we have the first attempt of modesty. But man's best attempts failed to meet God's standards. They dressed themselves in fig leaves and made for themselves loincloths, but because they were afraid, they, they now knew they were unclothed. But verse 10 says, I heard... He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? So in verse 21, we see that God was not satisfied with Adam and Eve's attempt at modesty. And so in verse 21 of chapter 3, He says unto Adam, also to his wife, did the Lord make, a co make coats of skin and clothe them. From the very beginning of time, death had to happen so that man could be clothed. Something had to die in order to cover them. Listen, nakedness throughout the Bible was almost always associated with sin or symbolic of sin. And in our day, we just people just want to be naked. They just want to wear as little as they possibly can. I mean, it's 20 degrees outside and people ain't got clothes on. It's, it's mind-blowing. I went out with my, my boys, all five of my boys yesterday. We went out to lunch, went to Hobby Lobby. And it was like, we had to get out of here. These people, have they ain't got no clothes on. It's cold. <laughs> like, come on, boys. Like, Y'all need to come down this aisle. Stay away from that aisle. Come over here. It's like constant. Why? Because we have we've entered a generation that just wants to be naked. But when we understand the dynamic of the idea and the culture, it's distorted. 
God cares about how we dress. If He didn't, He would have left Adam and Eve wearing fig leaves. I mean, who said that was wrong? I mean, they probably had a good outfit on. But God said, no, 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 no. That ain't modest. This is modest. Cover yourselves. In the third chapter, it's amazing of all the first things we see. We see the first impersonation, the first conversations. We see the first temptation. We see the first explanation. We see the first violation. We see the first infiltration. And lastly, the seventh, we see the the first realization of sin. This was a true paradise, my friend. Genesis 1 and 2 are God's design in a perfect paradise. But coming to 3, we see the corruption of man. And as man and woman ate that forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve died in that moment. Now, did they die physically? No, obviously they did not die physically, but they died spiritually. And unless corrected, they would die physically, eternally, away from the presence of God in a place called hell. And that's why I had Tony read Romans. Because we need that reminder that death spread to all men because Adam sinned. God didn't approach Eve. God approached Adam. We are told the sin had infiltrated humanity because of Adam. All because of one foolish act of rebellion, they lost everything. Adam and Eve lost their innocence. They lost their dignity. They lost their home. They lost a wonderful, perfect relationship with their Heavenly Father who spoke with them and talked with them and walked with them. And the reason we are the way we are, diseased, discontented, disobedient, disappointed, disjointed from God, is because each one of us has inherited this sin nature and a death sentence because of Adam's sin. But the God of the Bible, the Lord whom we worship, the King of salvation, the King of grace, the King of mercy, even in the midst of corruption and rebellion, God has a plan of redemption. God has a plan of forgiveness. God has a plan of grace. Oh, but know this, it does not come without a cost. And that is the cost of His Son giving up His life, a ransom for many. He makes a way. Has your marriage been broken? Listen, God is a God of forgiveness. Have you looked at things that dishonors God? Listen, God is a God of grace. Have you spoken false witness about a friend for the sake of yourself? Listen, God can forgive. Have you lied to someone? God can forgive. Have you cheated? Have you stolen? Have you lived in rebellion and rejection against your parents and their authority? Listen, God is a God of grace. God can forgive. Have you eaten of the forbidden fruit? Listen, God can forgive. Romans 5.12, Though one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We need a Savior, my friends. And God can restore you and make you a new creation in Christ. And that is the joy. Yeah, this sin talk and this rebellion and all that can, that can be hard to hear. 
But until we understand who we are and what we are, we could never understand the goodness and the mercy of Almighty God and what He has done. We have all sinned and partaken. But God has granted us mercy. And while yet we were sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible calls you this morning to repent to believe the gospel, to admit that you have done wrong and trust that God sent His Son to be the perfect sacrifice that you might be covered in the blood of the Lamb. So what is it you are putting your faith in to be restored? Because we need to understand we've all sinned. But we we have a Savior. He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Let today be the day of salvation. Call on Him today that you might be saved and forgiven by God's grace. Shall we pray? Hey, we want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.